Well, good morning and happy new year. I uh, hope you didn't stay up too late last night, ringing in uh, 2023 with your friends and family, wherever you are. It's a pleasure that you've chosen to join with us in worship today. And uh, yeah, just before we dive into God's word, if you don't know me, my name is Josh Stanley. I'm a pastoral intern here. I do a lot of work with Nathan on kids ministry and youth ministry with uh, all of the next gen stuff. And I wanna start off the new year right with some honesty. Often, if you've seen me on here on announcements or the last time I was here with you sharing the word, I often make the joke that I, Nathan makes me get him coffee every single day of my internship. And uh, I felt I've been feeling a little convicted because um, not only do I not get him coffee every day, I actually never get him coffee. <laughs> my job is a lot more than that, but he came over to me the other day and said, you know, you actually, you don't ever get me coffee. And we agreed that because I don't drink coffee, I'd probably get it wrong anyway, so it's probably a good thing. So yeah, we have a, I've had a lot of fun here with Nathan growing in the time that I've been here. So about six years ago, here I was sitting in my high school chemistry class in grade 11. And my teacher gets up to the front of the class like he does every day and he turns to us and he says this. He says, all right class, today's lecture is incredibly important, so take out your notes. We're gonna build off of what we did yesterday and if you weren't here yesterday and you don't have those notes, you need to make sure you get them because it was one of the most important lessons of the semester. Because what we talked about yesterday, and then he gestures like this to the whole class except expect, expecting a response. And everybody says molar mass. And he says, that's right. We talked about molar mass yesterday and blah, blah, blah. And he goes on. Well, actually, the whole class responded except for one person. And that was me. You see, the previous day, I was actually away. I was out of class. I was at a, I think I was at a badminton tournament or maybe a band event or something. But the point was, I wasn't there. So when everyone started talking about this molar mass thing and something to do with atomic weight, by the way, I never quite figured it out. I was so lost and I felt so left in the dark and I just didn't know what was happening. And I would have gotten the notes, except for my one friend in the class uh, he was a little bit too preoccupied with starting his own online shoe business rather than taking actual notes. So I never actually figured it out. And for the rest of the semester, I had no idea what was going on. And I just felt so lost. And it wasn't that I couldn't understand. And it's not even that I hated the topic of chemistry. It's just that nobody took the time to explain it to me. But the other people in the class who could be there for the important information and who understood it and who took, could take joy in it, they loved chemistry class. In fact, I was just talking with one of my friends the other day from that chemistry class, and he's doing chemistry in university now, and he always talks, oh, I can remember Mr. Sanders' grade 11 chemistry class. That was so much fun. I learned to love chemistry there. And I just couldn't relate because I felt left out because nobody took the time to explain to me what we were talking about. And, and why it was so important to me. And we find that funny. It's a little bit comical because it's so long ago and we think, oh, every good teacher should explain to his students what we're doing. But when we slow down and when we think about it, sometimes we can do the same thing as Christians. Sometimes we can talk with people we know or even with other Christians who haven't been walking with the Lord as long as we have. And we can use words or phrases that aren't very common to them and we're passionate about them, and we know what we're talking about, but sometimes we don't take the time to explain it to each other, to make sure we know what we're talking about. Some people can call this language 
Christianese or Bible babble or whatever you want to call it. But it can be incredibly confusing to people without it. And so we want to make sure that we take time to explain what we're talking about. If you can think back before Christmas, our church was going through the first four chapters of the book of Romans. And a big topic in the book of Romans is one of these words. It's the word justification. It's a big word and sometimes we throw it around and we talk about it, but we may not know exactly what it means. Paul talks about it a lot in the book of Romans. He talks about being justified a lot, but sometimes we can get lost in it. Except today, in our passage, as we dive back into the book of Romans for the new year, he's actually going to stop. He takes time and he says, okay, when I say you're justified, this is what I mean. And this is why you should care. This is why it's such a big deal. So if you've ever found yourself in those conversations where maybe that word's come up and you're like, yeah, I think I know what it means, but I'm not sure. We're going to spend some time today looking into what the Bible says about what it means to be justified. So I've tentatively titled today's message, Justified. So what? So we're going to be in Romans 5 today. We're going to focus on the first 11 verses. The chapter kind of divides itself into two, and we'll touch on the back half towards the end of our time together. Um, But just before we do that, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time we have together to learn from your word and what you have for us today. I pray that you would remove all distractions from our minds and that you would help us to understand just what you have brought us to. I pray that you remove any pride or motivation within me as I speak today and that your words would ring true. I pray that you would lead us in your way in our lives today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, as you're turning there, I'll just kind of recap what we talked about last fall. You see, in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives this grand accusation to the whole world that we have all sinned and suppressed our knowledge of God by our unrighteousness. And he outlines what that looks like. And then in chapter 2, if you remember Pastor Allen saying, he said, God has the right to judge and he's righteous in his judgment. For our sin, there is a consequence that Paul outlines. And then in chapter 3, Paul kind of gives this verdict of a judge, so you could say, where he says, I've reviewed the evidence and all men are guilty of sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he says, but all are justified by Jesus. See, everyone stands accused except for those who are justified. So that's the first time that we hear this kind of word thrown around. And he goes into a little bit of detail there. And then in chapter 4, he says, Actually, this is the way God has always brought people back to him. So by the time we come to chapter 5 of Romans, Paul doesn't waste any time telling us exactly what it means when we say we're justified and why it matters. So if we dive in and look at the first two verses, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Paul doesn't waste any time here. He says, when we're justified, we have peace with God. We no longer stand under the wrath that he pours out in chapter 1, but we stand under his grace. He is for us and he is with us now. 
And that's why it's such a huge deal. And that's why Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, dedicates this entire chapter to telling us what that means, how that affects every single day of our lives. We have peace with God through Jesus when we're justified. We stand under his, his grace and his favor towards us. And the first thing Paul tells us about this, well, okay, Paul, what do I do with that? Well, Paul says this, Paul says, when you live justified, you can rejoice in your future hope. In other words, when Paul says, you know, you're at peace with God. The God of the universe is for you and he is on your side when you stand justified. So you can look forward to all he is doing and all that he is going to do. When you live justified, you can rejoice in your future hope. And this phrase, the hope of the glory of God, sometimes it can seem a little bit transcendent a little bit ethereal, kind of out there, just kind of this thing that we've heard of, but we don't know. And I think that comes down to the word hope. Because when you and I think of hope, I sometimes think of it like this. We're coming out of Christmas, and at Christmas time, you know, some of the smaller kids, they'll, they'll write a Christmas list, they'll figure out what, they, what they're hoping to get on Christmas morning, and they'll say, oh man, I just, I really hope that I get this gift whether it comes from their parents or whether it comes from their grandparents or somewhere else, they just really hope that they get a certain toy for Christmas. But they don't really know. They don't really have any idea. Or sometimes we can say it like this, man, I just, I really hope that my team makes the playoffs this year. But we don't know. As much as I do from my couch and as loud as I cheer, I don't think the Packers are gonna make the playoffs this year. Or we can say, man, I really hope that I can just get through this. But we don't, we don't feel like we know. But that's not what Paul means when he uses the word hope. The word that Paul uses to say hope and the word that his people in Rome who are reading this would have recognized carries this definition of expectation or anticipation is maybe a better word. It's like that person who has a taste of something but can't see the whole picture yet. Doesn't know exactly what it is, but has just a taste of it. I like to think of it like this. It's like a child who's in the car on the way to Canada's Wonderland. He's never been there before, but he's heard about it. All of his close friends have been there and they've said, man, you gotta go on the roller coasters. They're awesome, they're amazing. They're so fast, they go up and down and upside down. And he's seen the previews online. He knows what they look like. And maybe even he's looked online and he's found the videos of what, it of what it looks like to sit in the seat and go all the way through the roller coaster, up, down, sideways, whatever. But he doesn't know it fully. He doesn't quite know what it's like to feel the wind rushing against his face. He doesn't know that feeling of leaving a stomach behind him at the top of the hill. But he's got an idea. See, this is what it's like when we hope in the glory of God. Because when we talk about God's glory, we talk about his beauty, his majesty, and the wonder of who he is and the things he does. And we have an assurance in the Bible that when God makes all things new, we will see his glory at its fullest. One commentator wrote this, he said, because our human understanding is imperfect, it's actually impossible for us to fully understand 
the wonder and magnitude of the glory of God. Nevertheless, we have the Lord's assurance that one day we will not only behold his glory, but we will partake in it. And we have that taste, that just that anticipation of God's glory, because we can see and experience just nuggets of it here and there in our life on earth. We can see him working in our life and in the lives of those around us. We can see him moving and doing things like planting a new church in Glentcote with Bethel Southwest. We can see the beauty of his creation when we look out at a starry night. And those are just tastes. And those are just glimpses into the glory of God that we can look at those and then anticipate and expect the fullness of what he's going to do, both in our time here on earth and eternally. And I think this is so fitting for the new year because let's all admit there's one thing that we do a lot around New Year's. We don't always follow through, but sometimes we do. That's right, those dreaded New Year's resolutions. It's that time where we take a look and we say, okay, this is how this year is going to be different. This is what I'm going to do this year to change something. And they could be big things, they could be small things, and none of those are bad things. But what I'm saying is, what if we took time this New Year's as we look forward to everything that this year brings and we think of, yeah, you know, these are the things that I'm going to tweak here and there. These are the things I'm going to change. Maybe it's big, maybe it's small. But what if we took time to look forward in hope, in expectation of all that God is going to do this year, both around you and in you and through you to the people around you? What if we could see the people in our lives come to know Jesus that we've been praying for for so long? What if we could see the church plant that we just started grow in uncalculable ways this year? What if we could see glimpses of the glory of God in our lives this year? When we live justified, we can look forward and we can rejoice in our future hope. But that's not that all, all that Paul tells us. Because sometimes you, you kind of sit there and you say, that's great that I can look forward, but I can't really get past today. I've got struggles and I've got trials that I'm walking through right now. And I can't look forward because I can barely get through what I'm in right now. And Paul says that when we have peace with God, we can do stuff about that as well. Paul says, when we live justified, we can rejoice in our present circumstances. It's not just that we can look forward. We can look around wherever we are and rejoice. When we live justified, we can rejoice in our present circumstances. And don't take my word for it. It comes right out of the text. In verse 3, he says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our present sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You know, for me, that time where it just felt way too hard to look forward because I just couldn't get through what I was in, was in high school. See, I had, I had grown up in the church. 
I had grown up with amazing Christian parents who taught me the gospel at a young age. And I knew that God was good. And I knew that he was loving. But I was just stuck. I just felt so much anxiety and so much fear because I had said things, I had done things, I had walked through some stuff that I was ashamed to tell anybody of. I didn't want to tell my parents for fear that they'd get mad at me. I didn't want to tell my friends for fear that they'd think, oh, that's just too terrible. I could barely tell my youth pastor sometimes. And I just lived with this fear and this anxiety. And I could see other people around my high school struggling with the same things, struggling with brokenness in their lives, brokenness in their homes, in their relationships, just in their life in general. And it ranged everywhere from, you know, the most popular kid in school having a bad day. And it wasn't uncommon in our area to hear of someone who was struggling so much that they just couldn't take it anymore and they would attempt to take their own life. But when I look back at that, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But when I see what God was doing in my life, I know that he used those experiences. He used those times where I just couldn't get through today to show me how much I needed Jesus and how much the people around me needed Jesus as well. And that's only because I knew him and I could have peace with him. Paul understands that when we're stuck in the trials and the pains of life, it's so hard to look forward because today is just too much. I can't look forward in expectation because I can't get through the suffering that I'm in right now. But Paul says that in that, you can rejoice. Not for that. You don't have to be super happy that things are going wrong. But we can find joy in, that, in those times because of this. Because that very thing that we feel makes it impossible to look forward. Paul says that it starts a chain reaction that goes through every essence of our character. Suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. You see, what we go through and what God is there with us through works its way to the end goal that we thought we never could see in the first place, hope. The same suffering that we're enduring, the same brokenness that we experience will lead us to the exact thing that we needed, hope. And Paul again gives us reason to trust in this promise that our suffering will produce hope eventually. And he says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. The love of God has been poured into the very core of my being. And the love of God abides with me through all of my suffering because it's poured out through the Holy Spirit given to us that the Bible says will never, ever leave us. So even in my most broken and my most heartless moments, I know that God is with me and that his love abides at my core. And so when I think of this comfort that just knowing that our loving God, our loving Heavenly Father stays with us, try and think of it like this way. Think of the person that you love. Think of the person that loves you. Now I bet that not every single activity that you like to do, they share 100%. And so when I think of this, I think of my fiance. And so one thing you gotta know about me is I grew up on comic books. 
comic books, superhero cartoons, comic book movies when I was younger. Like, I had my head in a comic book probably from the ages of 6 to 12 years old, every single day. I could tell you every factoid, every little thing about Superman and Spider-Man and Captain America and all these things, and a ton that none or no one's ever heard of. And so now, I still enjoy a good old-fashioned superhero movie. And Bethany, my fiance, she'll watch them sometimes with me, but I know that I'm not a joy to watch those movies with. Because if you can think of the person that every time you sit down and watch a movie, they say, well, this was a little bit different in the book, and I liked it better when the author did it this way in a book. Think of that, but like all the time. And it's off of comic books, so I'm sitting there thinking, man, I wonder why these human actors couldn't do the same things that people could draw on paper. It's not fun for her to do it, but she does it because I know that she loves me and she loves to spend time with me. And it's like that. Now, it's not exactly the same because God's not the one making us watch a terrible comic book movie or whatever. But in our darkest times, we know that he's there with us and he loves us and he's not going to leave no matter how bad it gets. That's what it's like to rejoice in suffering because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. When we live justified, when we know that we have peace with him, we can rejoice in our present circumstances because, because we understand that one day they will point us to our hope in God. And from here, Paul spends the next few verses crescendoing into this beautiful picture of the gospel as God's love for you and for me, for us. He starts in verse 6 and he says this, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul takes a moment and he says, look how great the love of God that Christ died for us so that we could be justified. He says, okay, maybe you don't get it. Over here is a righteous person. They've done nothing wrong. Because to be righteous is to be morally perfect by God's standards, to keep every one of his laws at all time forever. Well, someone's not really going to die for that person because there's nothing to pay for. There's, no, there's nothing to atone for with their death. Okay, but maybe here we have a good person. When the scales of life are weighed, they've done more bad than good. Yes, they've told a few lies. Yes, they've acted foolishly or heartlessly at some points, but they're also very kind and they're generally nice and they give to a lot of people and they do really good things. Paul says, you know, someone might actually die for them. Someone might pay their debt because they know that it'll be a net positive when that person keeps on going. But he says, God does more than that because he looks at us when we're over here, 
when we were sinners and he died for us. You see, sometimes we just forget what a sinner looks like. But if we remember all the way back in chapter one, Paul doesn't spare any words when he talks about it. He says that they're full of malice, full of envy, they're full of strife. And he gives the four words that just hit me like a truck when I heard them. He says they are foolish and faithless, heartless and ruthless. Those were sinners. And then when we look further and, and Paul says, that's all of us. That's me. And that's you. But Christ died for those people. He looks at me and he looks at you and he sees all of our foolishness. He sees all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of the times we've denied him, all of the times we've acted against his will. And he says, I love them and I am going to die for them. And that is what he did. He came and he lived a perfect life. He became that righteous person that had nothing to pay for. And then he died in our place. He paid our debt infinitely. And the wrath of God that is rightfully poured out on me is then poured out on Jesus. And I'm justified by his blood. And he is raised again and he reconciles us to God to bring us that peace. So that's another reason that we can rejoice in our current suffering and our current brokenness because we understand that the suffering we endure now is not only that which points us to Jesus, but it's all the suffering we're going to endure because the suffering in this life is the only suffering because when we get to heaven and when we see the Lord, it'll be perfect because his love has been poured out into us. So if you're here today, and maybe you've never fully understood what justification means, but you've understood these concepts. You know that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us to bring us back to God, to bring us back to peace with him. Be encouraged because this speaks to where you are right now. You right now can rejoice when you look forward to see all that God has done. And you right now can rejoice wherever you are. And if you're here today and you've never really understood what it means to stand righteous before God, to have peace with him, never understood what it means to sin, you've kind of just heard these words. And we recognize that that hasn't been you where you've taken that step to trust in Jesus. I want you to know that that point is where we all start. That is the point where God says, I love you and I'm going to die for you. He died so that we could live. And so we trust that he did just that. We trust that even though we are sinners, Jesus paid for us. And that's all it is. That's what's so crazy about this word being justified. It's this great, big, eternal process that saves us now and forever. And it was paid for with something so infinitely beautiful as Jesus' own life. But for us, it takes a simple step. We recognize our sin and our sinfulness and we turn to Jesus and we say, Lord, 
I trust in you. I know that I'm a sinner, but I trust in you and in your words. Let me say this. If you've never taken that step and trusted in Jesus, there's no time like today. What better way to start off a new year than with a new life in Jesus Christ? Paul writes later in another letter to a church, he says, the time is now for God's grace. The time for salvation is today. The time to be justified and have peace with God is right now because of Jesus. To understand our sin and to trust that he died for us and that he is with us. So when we look to Christ and we put our faith in him and we trust the work he did for us, we live justified. And we've kind of touched on before, that means that we can rejoice in our future hope. And that means we can rejoice in our present circumstances. But there's one more thing this morning that Paul says. He says, when we live justified, we can rejoice in our eternal God. And this comes out of verse 11. He says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, it is not just the works of God around you and through you and in you that we rejoice in. It's God himself. He is both the giver and the gift because he is beautiful and righteous and holy. You see, when we understand that we're justified and we now have peace with him, our whole perspective of God changes. And we can see that in the way that we talk about our Heavenly Father and our Holy God, as opposed to people who don't know Him, who either don't care or maybe are even hostile to Him. We talk about God in very, very different ways. In the Bible, when you see people who understand their unrighteousness come before God, the result is always dreadfulness. The prophet Isaiah, when he got a glimpse of the glory of God, he said this, he said, Woe is me, or cursed is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the way that we approach God when all we understand is how sinful we are. But when we understand that despite all of that, Jesus still came. And Jesus still died for us. And Jesus is still with us. And he is for us. That God becomes so much more. When we understand that we have been justified through Christ, we rejoice in who God is. We rejoice because of the love that he's poured out for us. We rejoice in the grace that he gives us and that we can stand before him in. We rejoice in his mercy lavished over us. We can rejoice in his power and his reign upon the earth because we know that he is all-powerful and he is in control and he is for you. Paul says that we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. And he spends the rest of this chapter telling us what that means. Okay, why do we rejoice in God through Jesus? Why Jesus? And it's a bit wordy and it's even a little bit repetitive sometimes. But when I was, ta- when I was looking at it, I came across a comment by Pastor John Piper, and he speaks on this passage, and he says, it's not very complicated, it's just so mind-blowing. Paul says in Romans 5.12, he says, 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul says, first there was Adam, the story of Adam and Eve, the very first man. He was given a directive by God and he broke it and he sinned. And the wages of sin is death. That's the result of sin. And Adam's sin was so great that death actually cascaded all the way down through his lineage. So Adam's sin was bad enough not just to bring death to him, but to all who would come after him and through him. And then he says it got worse because even those under Adam, they kept sinning over and over and over again. But then he says, then came Jesus. And Jesus was like Adam, but different because he was fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived the perfect life that Adam was supposed to. He was a better Adam. He was fully God and fully man and he was perfect. And so when Jesus dies, he gives us a free gift. And this free gift is a new life a new inheritance, a new family, to be born again into a new lineage. And the inheritance of these families are very different. Paul says later in Romans 5, 16, he says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And we see it, and so when we talk about being justified, we understand that this is what Jesus came to do. He changes our inheritance and we rejoice in God only through Jesus because without him, our inheritance from Adam is death. But with him, through Jesus, when we're justified, our inheritance through him is life and life eternally. And he says again later, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. It's all about that one thing that Jesus did when he died for us. When we understand what Jesus did, who he is, how he lived, and why he died, we can look at him and we can rejoice in who God is through him. So as we close today, so we go about this year, let's not just exist as the people of God. Let's be people who can rejoice because of all that God has done and in who God is. Let's find joy and let's find gladness in the greatness of God and his works. Three times in our passage today, Paul tells us that because we're justified, we should rejoice and we can rejoice. And so as we leave today, what we have to leave with is this, that when we live justified with peace before God, we live rejoicing. We rejoice in our future hope of all that God is going to do. We rejoice in our present sufferings because he is with us. And we rejoice in our eternal God through Jesus. When we live justified, we live rejoicing. So as we go about our week and we go about this brand new year, let's look for ways that we can look forward to what God has done or what God is doing around to our circumstances and upwards to him and rejoice. Would you just pray with me before we go? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us in Jesus. 
We thank you that you have brought us to peace with you through your son. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you died for us while we were sinners so that we could sin no more. We thank you that because of this, we can rejoice when we look forward to all you are doing. When we look around, even though our our circumstances seem dire, we can rejoice because you're with us. And we thank you that because of all you've done, we can rejoice in who you are. And God, I just pray that if there are those of us here today who have never really understood, but have maybe felt that prompting today from the Holy Spirit, that you would lead them and you would guide them back to yourself and back into your family and into your kingdom. Lord, as I, I pray as we go about our week and about this brand new year, that you would give us opportunities to rejoice in all that we do and in all that you are doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in our time of worship today. I hope it was a blessing to you as it was to me. If there's any prayer requests or questions that you want to ask, there's a number on the screen that you can text right now and we'll get back to you. As you go about your week, I hope that you have an incredible time rejoicing in Jesus.